Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to the latest Odyssey FM show on Echobox Radio. We're delighted today to be joined for our first show of the new year with sound artist, DJ and educator, the brilliant Russell E.L. Butler. So, Russell, how are you today? I understand you're joining us from Bermuda. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, feeling very nice. You know, the sun is shining here. It's very warm. Um, it's lovely to be here with my family. Um, and just to sort of go back a little bit in time, um, of course, you not long returned from your last visit to Europe and your last tour, uh, where we saw you played in London and Berlin. Um, I think this was just before the lockdown sweeped at least continental Europe. Um, can you tell mm-hmm. us a bit about the trip and were there any sort of big highlights or great memories? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, I got into Berlin um, just uh, about a, a day before they started to um, implement um, some of the newer uh, restrictions. Um, and so I, uh, I entered, you know, having an idea of what it would be like to go into a club with that, that entire idea um, shifting kind of in real time, like it would be every few hours I would, you know, be having to fill out a different thing or go get a COVID test or something like that. So, um, so it was very, um, uh, it, it was, you know, touring is already pretty hard, but, um, but the added strain of, um, uh, trying not to get sick, uh, trying not to get anyone else sick, um, first off, and then also, uh, kind of wrestling with the different regulations of the countries that I went into and out of, um, you know, made things extra hard. Like I was, I've been saying to folks, like I'm pretty, um, experienced traveling, but I've been saying to folks that right now, you know, if I, I really feel for folks who aren't, um, who are just starting to do this for the first time or who haven't, uh, you know, traveled outside of their, their, um, their home very much because it's just, yeah, it's extra di- difficult. Um, uh, had a great time in uh, Berlin. Uh, 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 it was at fifty percent capacity the party, um, and um, and then I went very quickly off to London, um, which was uh, which was such an overwhelming experience in different ways. Um, one of the highlights of the whole trip was um, riding in a car to the venue with uh, Maritz von Oswald, um, and I just so happened to be listening to all of the uh, Main Street recordings um, uh, the previous week, so all the round one, round two, one, round three stuff. Um, and so, I, so it was, you know, a, a real blessing to be able to um, chat with him kind of in, you know, face-to-face about some of this stuff and to learn some stuff about that time. Um, and then the gig itself, you know, I, um, uh, Eris Drew is a, a very good friend of mine, um, and we've been fans of each other for for quite some time now, uh, but we'd never um, uh, played together in that way. Uh, and that was just a really wonderful experience and definitely the most people that I'd ever played to before on the biggest system that I ever have in my life. It was it was quite overwhelming, you know. Um, but overall, um, for the most part, a, a really good experience. And then um, I uh, recorded a live set for Trezor uh, while I was back in Berlin. Um, that should be out sometime in the next couple of months um, uh, on Arte, on their website and on the um, uh, the TV. Um, and then um, probably the best to- the best show playing in Kiev in the Ukraine at K41 was absolutely one of the major highlights of the year. Um, uh, it uh, 
just the, the very intentional um, staff, uh, very concerned with the safety of their guests, very um, COVID uh, safe and COVID, fairly COVID forward as well. Like there's some of the things that they were implementing, such as um, offering onsite testing are things that, um, uh, and working with an NGO to, um, to uh, coordinate an app where they can, um, uh, get their test re COVID test results, but also um, the same app offers um, testing for drugs. So folks can send a sample of whatever they want to take for that night and they'll get um, results per in pretty short order about um, whether or not it's safe for them to do so. Um, and just like a lot of different things that, um, you know, folks in my world um, uh, have been having conversations about, but have found it quite hard to um, implement because so many places, um, you know, they're kind of doing these kinds of things after the fact, um, whether it's because they were called out on social media or by, you know, local people in the community. Um, but this was very much a place that um, because, you know, over there in the Ukraine, the government wasn't giving them any help. Um, and so it really uh, it, so in some ways they were kind of they, you know, they got a lot of criticism in the early days of the pandemic. But in some ways, some of the models that um, they were able to establish in the those early days are things that are starting to be implemented in, um, at least in clubbing in New York. But, uh, but yeah, I was, I was quite impressed by that. And then the gig itself, like, you know, everybody, like so many different gigs, you know, you have people in the club who are, and this is not to knock any folks, you know, but you have so many people in the club for different reasons. And sometimes those people end up taking up a lot of space on the dance floor and they're doing everything, but like, you know, uh, engaging with the music and dancing, but this was like every, the entire room was just locked in, you know, and I was closing, I was closing the party. Everybody was, those folks could dance out there too. Like, you know, like not, not a single person missing a beat, you know, like, like just very, just very connected with the music. Like a lot of people, um, hitting me up for track IDs afterwards. And yeah, it was altogether a lovely experience. And, um, and also the, probably the furthest that I've traveled as well. It very much felt like I was on the other side of the world, which I mean, I was, <laughs> um, uh, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, uh, altogether it, you know, and, um, well, it sounds fantastic uh, and super impressive yeah, yeah. what they're doing in Ukraine. And I must say, I really feel you with the traveling as well. Um, also as a regular traveler, I think the only word you can describe it is it's pretty draining at the moment with all the checklists yeah. and double checking and things. Yeah, and then not knowing, you know, whether or not you've done all the right stuff, you know, like, um, even in, I had to deal with it uh, coming back to the U.S. in that um, uh, they had just changed some of the regulations coming back into the U.S., so you had to get a test within um, a day, whereas before it was 72 hours. Um, and then also, um, when I got to the airport, uh, for some reason, my... Uh, the airline that I was flying with didn't have my reservation and I had to wait in line to um, to see what was up and that took a long time because they're super understaffed because people have COVID or they, they have a they have trouble fi filling these positions so there was just like one help help desk for the entire for the entire airport uh, um, and I was waiting in line obviously you know waiting in line for so long that I would miss that flight and then they ended up rerouting me through Portugal and so instead of Switzerland. And so I had already filled out all of the stuff for Switzerland. <laughs> and then, you know, 
waiting in line to get my ticket for Portugal. I have to do all the stuff for Portugal, oh, which is which is different, you know. And 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 yeah, the um, you know, all, like at least the EU has the um, the COVID pass app, which you know at least is good for the for the Schengen area. You know, that's kind of the most uh, I feel like centralized and coordinated uh, aspect of presenting your documentation. But um, you know, the the U.S. doesn't have any of that. And outside of the U.S., outside of the the Schengen area, you know, they it's it's kind of a patchwork of of different things. And like I have have friends um, in the U.S. who are only coming from, you know, three or four hours away, but they're out of state. And so, you know, they can't have the COVID, the New York COVID pass app because they got vaccinated somewhere else. And, you know, there's just like so many more millions of people to kind of um, keep track of that uh, that ends up being uh, quite the feet and it's it's hard you know because then you end up carrying around something that is like essentially as important as your passport or your social security card um mm. to just go out to the club you know just yeah. to show that you're vaccinated yeah yeah for sure um but just moving away from covid and uh, the gigs and changing subject for mm-hmm. a moment um there was a fantastic article we were reading recently called classic magazine um in which you were mm-hmm. talking about traditional archiving your own relationship yeah. to blackness, transness, and queerness, and how this has kind of shaped or created the short tell, the sorry, the storytelling process, which is at the core of your work. Uh, first of all, we're going to highly recommend any listeners to go check that out, uh, which is easily found um, on via Google. But in short, can you tell us a bit about this and what being a what a digital archivist means to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my. Um, it, it, I'm somewhat unique in that this is a, a tradition within my family to take on some kind of like historical documentation. Um, my uh, my great aunt was the family historian, and then when she passed, my brother kind of took that on. But in addition to that, my dad um, uh, was an author for some time and wrote a great deal about certain aspects of uh, Bermudian culture that were previously undocumented. Things about our sports culture, things about our music culture, um, uh, things about our folk tales. Um, and uh, one of my first jobs actually was uh, going to the uh, the National Library with him and going through newsreels and just like picking out things of interest that he was researching. Um, so it's always kind of been part of the process in one way or another. and. Um, and uh, right, right up until um, me going to art school, um, which uh, at the time, like a, a great deal of, um, this was kind of like, like I, I'm not sure exactly what, what folks are, what the application towards creativity is now, but it was very much like a lot of the professors embracing postmodernism and um, to an extent embracing like knowing what came before in order to um, kind of build on that and, and create um, new and interesting works. Um, uh, so, so my process has always been um, kind of connected with uh, acknowledging the things that came before in one way or another, or 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 having references to different things, and it's just kind of fun too, in a way. You know, like I, I really like watching a piece of media, like a movie or something, and you know they refer to uh, to like it might even be just like three lines from you know a play or or uh, or something that. Um, you know, a director that they really look up to, you know, and, and it kind of connects it to this, um, uh, it, it connects it to a tradition, um, in a way, uh, for better, you know, as problematic as that word can kind of be, it, it connects it to, um, to something else that came before. Um, and, uh, 
And in terms of uh, digital archiving, in regard to the Frankie Knuckles project that I was a part of, um, you know, this to an extent was already something that was inherent in my practice. You know, a lot of, uh, I would say, hybridized DJs, so DJs who um, who collect other forms of media besides digital files, so vinyl, cassette tapes, uh, reel-to-reels, whatever. Um, you know, there's, in order to uh, play them in a certain um, context that may not either be ideal for uh, playing vinyl records, or, you know, you simply just don't want to bring a whole lot of stuff with you, you end up uh, recording your records and digitizing them. Excuse me. Uh, but within that, you only, you kind of end up creating your own uh, file system, but you also end up creating your own uh, unique relationship with um, with the historical documentation of this thing. Um, you're able to kind of constantly uh, recontextualize uh, these materials um, that you've either been given or discovered or bought or whatever. Um, and so to be involved in something that, um, that uh, was connected to such a you know historically significant set, uh, portion of objects. It um, you know it was absolutely a, a great honor to be um, in any way adjacent to the uh, to the uh, preservation of the legacy of Frankie Knuckles. Um, but uh, simultaneously, I was able to um, create and explore uh, um, a different kind of historic uh attachment historic and analytical attachment to these objects um uh very often um with uh something like archiving which was part of the point of this project in particular uh, uh it's done behind closed doors there's very little engagement with anybody um from the public let alone anyone who might have had a direct connection um with whatever these objects are you know whether it's because so much time has passed and none of those people exist anymore or uh, or, you know, the institution just simply hasn't done the work of, of letting people know that they have things. Um, but with this, you know, it was it was very much beyond an archive. It ended up to some extent being somewhat of a memorial or, a, or an ongoing wake uh, because Frankie Knuckles is originally from New York. Um, and so there were a lot of people in New York still who knew him, um, who were very close with him, um, people who saw him play, people who collaborated with him, people who worked professionally with him, um, whether it was at um, uh, the For the Record record pool or the Death Mix label and, and booking agency, um, folks who were from the Paradise Garage, folks who went to Sound Factory Bar, different promoters different professional DJs like so many different kinds of people were brought together and and that in that experience changes the set of objects um, which fairly often one doesn't necessarily think about in regard to historic documentation like it, like folks think like okay you you know you encapsulate it you do someone like a photograph like you encapsulate it you document it and that's it like that's the thing but whenever somebody new engages with that thing um, especially when it's going on in real time, then the thing changes. Um, and, uh, and you know, I, I went from uh, initially just like going through stuff from the early 2000s. Um, the newest record in there, I believe, was from 2007. Um, and, uh, but then eventually, as I would talk to people, um, you know, a, a note about this too that's important is that the music, while I was digitizing, it was playing in real time in the space. 
So I'm kind of like soundtracking this experience in the gallery whilst also having these conversations. And, um, and through people's stories, I was able to integrate that into the experience as well so you know somebody comes and tells me about one tune or another tune or this or the time that shaka khan played a paradise garage or something like that and um and then that in would inform what records i would pull and document um for the next set of days um so i was able to learn a great deal of you know i already knew somewhat of a patchwork of you know new york city um music history in terms of like underground music and a little bit of dance music stuff but uh i've only lived in new york for um for just over two years now um and uh and so rarely are you able as especially as a new resident are you able to access kind of the depths of some of the, this knowledge um and so i felt extremely privileged to be able to not only um you know listen and integrate these people's stories but to also just allow them to be heard you know some of these folks just really wanted to talk and so they would just there are a couple of folks who just hung out for like two hours you know just just story after story you know and i would just yeah and i and i tried to thank everybody who would who would spend time with me you know because it's it's it was very it was very important and very unique and i might be one of the only folks who will hear these kinds of stories in this way you know and um and i take that as a uh not only as a great privilege but an but a real honor you know it's it's extremely humbling to to be in a position like that sure thing wow fascinating stuff thanks for sharing those experiences um so um you mentioned a little earlier you were busy doing something for uh treasure i think it's a recording of um a live set but what can we expect next year in terms of your own music and productions is there a lot lined up um, so it's, uh, you know, uh, the past couple of years, uh, have been especially, uh, trying in terms of, um, uh, being a music producer and creating, um, unique recorded music, uh, and what, trying to figure out what market there is for what it is that you do or how to leverage what it is you do for bookings or what have you. So, um, if I've learned anything, um, over the last a couple of years through this pandemic it's um it's to really just kind of follow my instincts and to an extent like plan very little um i uh i do have a couple of things i'm working on some remixes for a couple of different artists um still doing some uh mix and mastering engineering and hopefully growing that aspect of the business especially as you know things uh, in terms of booking still remain fairly volatile um but Primarily, um, I think the most major shift that I'm excited about um, kind of showing folks is um, I'm, I'm just going kind of deeper into um, dub-oriented sounds, um, particularly... Uh, so one of the things from the Frankie Knuckles exhibition that I got was um, between 92 and 97 was kind of the most interesting area of sounds for me in that record collection um it's where a lot of the the thing when people talk about deep house like that's kind of the era where a lot of um innovations are kind of happening within that sound you know larry heard is signed to mca and is putting out you know his really big records and but um but also you know uh the sound is spreading internationally you know like the the first round one um record um uh that has a uh, Shay Damier and Ron Trent remix on it. Um, that came out, I believe, in 92. 
Um, and that was very much a that was very much Maurice von Oswald and Mark er, uh, um, Mark Ernestus reacting to what was going on in the U.S. They were going to New York. They were experiencing dub sound systems. They were going to Detroit. Uh, I, I heard from a friend that um, they talked to, to Mike Banks one time, Mad Mike, and he said that uh, Maurice and, and Mark would go to Detroit pawn shops to buy all their synthesizers. Um, so there's there's this kind the 90s kind of represent the, and, and also it's kind of the last era when DJs are residents at a space and they don't tour. Um, DJs touring and going other places, especially within the context of American dance music, was a fairly new thing. Like that didn't really start to happen in earnest until the like mid late 90s and then didn't really explode until the early 2000s. And a, a lot of that had to do with, um, uh, you know, the extremely uh, conservative gentrification that was happening in places like uh, Chicago and New York. Um, uh, particularly in New York, you know, people refer to it as the Disneyfication of Times Square, which liter quite literally Walt Disney, uh, 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 I believe, uh, bought all of the land or property in Times Square in order to push all of that stuff out. It was mostly, you know, a place for uh, sex workers and trans people where a lot of the nightclubs were and stuff like that. And um, and then eventually, you know, it kind of turns into this universal term like Band-Aid or something like the Disneyfication of New York when it was quite literally Disney going in there, you know. And then you have Rudy Giuliani, um, you know, the kind of great, the, the, the great villain um, uh, and stalwart of, uh, of gentrification. Um, and so that's, you know, I, I'm very fascinated by um, the cultural moments um, in music that, uh, that push this kind of innovation and being able to kind of extrapolate um, different things from that in order to create new things. So the thing that I came out of that experience with was damn i really want to make a lot of stuff with a lot more sub bass and a lot more like echo and just really really dubbed out stuff <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna be spending a lot more time just um just kind of shifting my studio practice uh selling stuff um kind of shifting what the studio looks like um in order to explore more of these sounds really really interesting and actually i didn't know about Times square so uh it's something i definitely want to read more into um yeah it's something it's something that i because i knew about the gentrification that happened but i didn't know exactly how and then i can't i can't remember exactly who i was uh listening to or what interview i was watching but that came up and i was and it just like just a light bulb kind of went off like oh like that the term it's not just people casually throwing around this term like that literally happened <laughs> wow crazy yeah really crazy yeah. <laughs> and well yeah. it's fantastic that you're taking this kind of uh, well this information and really intentionally incorporating it into your music and your own storytelling process with that so looking mm. forward to hearing Great. um thank you well, we're coming towards the end of today's short interview, um, but what can we expect over the remainder of the show? Um, what was the thinking behind your mix? Um, if well, so I've, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a really, it was really like a, a, a freestyle kind of a zone. Like it's a lot of records that I've been uh, listening to and, um, and just uh, 
just kind of integrating into my practice once again um you know i've been buying a lot of this new york music and and been trying to integrate it more into uh the way in which i dj um and kind of you know integrating it into the other forms of storytelling that i've already been able to accomplish through djing um so it's it's uh probably like the most uh up to date in terms of uh it's it, i made it right before i went on tour so it's so it's it's got a lot of those the the records i was playing on tour in it um uh but yeah just kind of kind of freestyling you know i'm i'm a i'm a bit rusty you know because not as many gigs not as many not as much stuff to um to to be really like pushing the form for um but also you, you don't you the the blends are going to be like like a little i mean and, and i'm you know i'm a big student of carlos Dufront. you know like he's the king of the of the sloppy blend you know so um uh so a little bit a, a little bit of that in there too well it's all vibes so thanks for joining us russell uh let's dive in
Bye, baby. 